Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the Roar Logistics Story with my friend Bob Rich. How's it going, Bob? Joe, we're hanging in there. How are you? It's a Wednesday, so it's like we're almost over the hump here, and this is a great way to be halfway through the week is to uh, sit down and yes. talk with you. And I know uh, it might not matter six months from now if you're listening, but it is football season, which is the best time of the year for me. I love, uh, oh, yeah. I love this time of year. So. Go Bills! Go Bills! Huge Bills fan. It's Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's oh, I'm in Michigan, so I cheer for my beloved Wolverines, okay. and I'll jump on the Lions bandwagon anytime something happens over there. But uh, I've been off the wagon for a while. But <laughs> anyway, you know, it's, tough, get it. it's tough with the Lions jokes. I was going to say, you know, they haven't won a game yet, so it's like every week I root for the Lions. I have to, you have to root for the underdog. I remember when Cleveland, and look at it this way, okay? Cleveland was like oh and sixteen at one point, and now look at Cleveland this year, so. Detroit, you're on your way up. You, you can't get any worse. <laughs> Today is the best day. You can't get any lower. So let's let's hope for Thanks, a win. Exactly, exactly. Bob, before we get started, up, please introduce yourself and your company where you're at. I know you're in Buffalo, but <laughs> exactly. My name is Bob Rich III. Robert Rich III, a formal name. I come from a line of uh, of entrepreneurs. My my dad and my grandfather, who started rich products, my dad, who's carried on the legacy. And in 2003, I started Roar Logistics which is a subsidiary of Rich Products. I pushed my dad. I said, Dad, let's make this an independent business. And he was uh, he was comfortable having us part of the company for a lot of the support that we've had. And we've been in business for 18 years. ROAR is an acronym for Rail, Ocean, Air, and Road. Uh, our website, www.roarlogistics.com, will tell you the, uh, the nine or 10 locations that we have here. Because off the cuff, I know I'm going to forget somebody, but we're, uh, we are coast to coast as well as internationally as an international freight forwarder and a customs broker. We also do truck, rail, air, and uh, and ocean freight. Based out of Buffalo, New York, loving the business, hating the climate right now, but for us it's pretty good. Uh, but as a consumer, there's a, there's a lot of things that we're wishing that uh, we get back to normal at the end of the pandemic. Right, right. So what I'll do is I'll put, a, I'll put links to any links you give me, I'll put in the show notes so you guys can follow up at Roar. I'll also put Bob's LinkedIn profile. So awesome. we can bug you over there. So I, anytime I respond, <laughs> you know, it's funny, Joe, I respond to everybody. Um, I'll get people sell me insurance or selling me, you know, widgets or whatever it is that they want to sell. And I will respond to everybody. I think that as, as a leader, the most important thing you can do is to be communicative. You have to deliver good news and bad news. And unfortunately for the people out there trying to sell me the Encyclopedia Britannica's every week, right. I've got to deliver bad news to you. I've already got like a couple copies, so I'm, I'm good. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that, it's it's funny. I, I'm a LinkedIn freak. I feel like I got oh, yeah. on LinkedIn way early. So like, I remember they put connect with your coworkers and neighbors yep. and friends, and I was like, they're not on here. I'm every day. And I remember it was months and months before I finally got on, and you get one friend on and another friend on, and... And now it's everybody's on there. And I know it's abused, but I love it. <laughs> oh, it's a great thing. You know, my daughter's got a better LinkedIn profile than I have. And she's only oh, yeah. going to And I'm telling my son, I mean, he's a, he's a freshman in uh, North Carolina right now. And I tell him, listen, you better get on LinkedIn because 
this is where you build your profile. And, and LinkedIn truly is probably the best possible tool out there. Right. I tell people, especially young people, sometimes I have to tell an old person this. Like when I say old person, being someone my age. I tell young people all the time, you don't exist if you're not on LinkedIn. And I said, a lot of times when you're talking to someone, they are searching LinkedIn for you. So Exactly, exactly. But anyway, let's get into this bad boy. So, Bob, before we talk about Roar Logistics, uh, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some, uh, some I, I know you have a, uh, you come from that long line of successful business people. So tell, give us a little of your background. Well, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, uh, the west side of Buffalo. Born and raised on Lafayette Avenue on the west side, and uh, I've lived in Buffalo all my life. I, I went to school uh, at St. Lawrence University. I graduated in 89. I was a, a member of Sigma Pi fraternity. Love my fraternity brothers. Miss them, but hey, they're still out there, and I'm sure anywhere I go nationwide, I always find a place to sit down and have a beer and some good conversation. After I got out of school, I started, I started an organization called Western New York United Against Drug and Alcohol Abuse where we were doing outreach uh, throughout the communities of Western New York and the seven surrounding counties. After that, uh, I went to work for Rich Products for my family business. But as I went to Rich's, my dad told me, he said, look, it, he said, you can come and work in the company, he said, but my expectation is that you get your degree in, in business and, and a master's. And because my undergraduate was psychology and environmental studies, AKA, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but we'll figure it out when we get there. So we went on, I did a master's at uh, Richard J. Whaley School of Business at Canisius College, finished third in my class. Nice. Busted, busted my hump, man, I'll tell you what. You don't realize when you're an undergraduate, it's like there's so many distractions when you're in graduate, it's work and school. Right. So was very, very busy, um, you know, in the early 90s getting my degree uh, in business with a concentration in marketing. So, you know, I looked at it as I've got an undergraduate in psychology, a graduate in business. What are we going to do? And, you know, my career sort of led me towards trucking and transportation. At Rich Products, I started in logistics. When I was a kid, I used to drive with the route drivers. We had a couple hundred trucks at Rich Products delivering frozen food. And I was just, I was enamored with, I was obsessed with CB radios and 18 wheelers. Oh my God. I remember CB radios. Oh, I, I used to sit in my dad's, I would sit in my dad's car and bug the truckers who would drive down I-94. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd say, kids, get off that radio, please. <laughs> you know, I, I still have one. I've got, I've got a portable CB in my truck. I wish I should have brought it in, but I, I do have a portable handheld CD. Uh, you know, being in logistics, every now and I turn it on. It's not like it was back in the late seventies and early eighties where they would be on Friday night. You're sitting at home in your, your base station, listening to everybody back and forth. That was the original social media was, was the CB radio. Yeah. And, and for you youngsters who are going, what the hell are these old dudes talking about? There's the CB, <laughs> the CB radio was what truckers had. It was before we had mobile phones, they had CB radios and they would communicate that way. Yeah. And there was, there was this whole, it was such a grip on the culture for a while. And everybody got one. My dad was a salesman and he's like, oh, I need a CB radio so I oh, can yeah. know oh, what's yeah. going on. <laughs> so stupid. I, mean, I remember as a kid, you remember Radio Shack? Radio Shack used to be the store. So like Radio Shack, you'd go in and buy a walkie talkie and it would come with crystals. Do you remember the crystals? <laughs> right. So if you wanted a channel, if you wanted channel 19, which was a trucker channel, You'd have to go in and buy a set of crystals, open the back of the radio, plug these crystals into your radio, and you have three oh, or four yeah. channels. Channel 9 was Emergency Channel, Channel 14 was All My Buddies, and Channel 19 was the Trucker Channel. So it was Breaker 1-9 for a radio check. What was your oh, handle, yeah. Joe? You had to have a handle. What was your handle? I, 
I honestly don't remember. I just remember <laughs> me and my friends tormenting the truckers as they went. I don't know, you know, just being punks. But yeah, it was. If you look it up, there was movies on this. It was just, and they had their own language, like Con- Convoy, Breaker, Breaker Ten Nine, and all these. Yeah, languages. yeah. I remember, in fact, I do remember my my sign on and my license number, and it was. Uh, Okay, uh, Breaker One Nine. This is uh, this is GI Joe uh, KLP three <laughs> KLP one five zero three. That was my license. KLP one five zero three GI Joe out. You know, I, I, so I was you <laughs> oh, know Joe, to say I was made to get into logistics and trucking. Yeah, that was a given. <laughs> I don't know if I was supposed to be a truck driver or not, but man, oh man, I as a kid I grew up playing with trucks, and so people are like, "What do you do for a living now?" I play with trucks. You know, exactly. I, I I love it. You know. One thing led to another. Next thing you know, here we are in 2003, starting Roar Logistics, basically out of Buffalo, New York, with three phone lines in Buffalo, three lines in Atlanta. We hired a great guy. My uh, my senior vice president, Tony Barnes, came from Norfolk Southern and uh, one of my competitors, which shall remain nameless because I don't like to give them any credit for giving me one of the, the greatest guys in the industry to uh, help me build my rail <laughs> business. We had six lines, two coffee machines, three people. And now we've got, geez, 10 offices, 180 associates, and, wow. and endless cups. Of, there's, I can't even, I wish I knew how many cups of coffee were consumed on a daily basis. And I wish I knew how many of my guys own CB radios. I'm probably the only one, but I still believe in it. <laughs> I, I, I love it, Joe. I'm a student of this industry. I love everything diesel, man. This is, this is, I still look at trucks to see what the cab is. I still look at the reefer units to see if it's a thermal king or a, a carrier unit. And I still wonder what they're carrying. And it's, it's a passion for me, logistics. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. So what, what was the, like the, the hole in the market that you saw that you wanted to start roar? Obviously you guys had some internal, so, so rich products, you said had some trucks, Yes. I don't know if they still had them at that time, but did, did were you thinking I can move? We can move our internal freight here, or were we thinking what was the what was the thought? I mean, besides, I love CB radios. <laughs> I love CB radios and everything trucking. You know, for us, what it was when we started Roar. Um, you know, I had talked to my dad, and we wanted to start a company that was a, sort of an extension of our logistics group. We've got a. a hundred and something million dollar transportation budget at Riches. We wanted to get into an aspect of logistics that back in 2003 was not really being exploited. You know, and a friend of mine reached out to me who was a, a traffic manager for one of my customers and, you know, at the time and said, hey, Riches doesn't have trucks anymore. Why don't you start this brokerage? But more importantly, why don't you look at rail? Why don't you look at intermodal? Because at the time, intermodal was, it was this, uh, this great unknown. I mean, Intermodal, the companies, we were trying to buy one once I figured I wanted to get into it. I couldn't get anyone to sell their company. I couldn't figure out why. And then we started looking at the um, the, the the niche and the, the barriers to entry. It, it wasn't really a lot of barriers to entry, but if you don't know what you're doing, you know, you will not succeed in the Intermodal business. And then, you know, after, after trying unsuccessfully for about a year and a half to, to buy a rail company, uh, a friend of mine who had told me to get in the industry, like to thank him again, <laughs> thank or, or growl at him. I, I met uh, Tony, who uh, had just recently been uh, let go in a wave of bloodletting from my competitor. Uh, we sat down at Taco Mac in uh, Marietta, Georgia. We went back to his house. We we sealed the deal. Uh, I showed him my business plan, sealed the deal with a handshake, and then we moved our, our first load. It was about 18 years ago, earlier this month. It was, Very nice. Uh, 
Florida to Ohio, it was for Ruan Transportation. We got the load, we handled it for three weeks, and then all of a sudden they shifted it back to truck, and we didn't have any more business. So, no, I've had Ruan <laughs> been on the podcast a few times. They're great guys. I know those guys really awesome well. Awesome company. And they, they were our first first company that ever uh, worked with us. Roadlink was our first drayage company, and uh, Norfolk Southern was... Was it Norfolk Southern or it was Martrack, UPS Martrack? It was either, I think it was Norfolk Southern was the first class one to give us our rail contracts, and Martrack was the first private equipment uh, company to give us the ability to work with them on the refrigerated side. So really it was uh, it was intermodal. We wanted to go out, we wanted to build a company based on intermodal, and then once we were in intermodal, we got into truck, and then we have an O and an A, which is ocean and air, and then we ultimately got into ocean freight forwarding. For someone who might not know, could you describe the basics of intermodal? Sure. Uh, intermodal transportation is essentially what we do with over-the-road trucks, but we do it over the rail. And, and we'll pick up, we'll drive up to your door, we'll pull up with an 18-wheeler with a trailer or a container on, on a chassis, pick up that shipment just like we do a truckload, we block and brace it so that it doesn't shift in transit. Because when you move freight on the railroad, you're subject to two different types of forces. You're, you're subject to jog and you're subject to sway. Jog is back and forth and sway right. is side to side. When you get these moving like this, it's, it's some type of a weird right. dance, but you need to make sure that your freight is blocked and braced differently than what goes on a truck. So we'll pick up that freight. We'll take that chassis and that container to the rail yard. We'll use a gantry train. They'll lift that container off the chassis, put it on the railroad, It'll go on a train with, say, two or 300 other containers being pulled by one or two uh, locomotives. And then uh, we'll take it to the ultimate end zone or end, end point, which typically it's going to work best for shipments of 600 miles or more. We'll take it there. We'll take it off the train. We'll put it on chassis and we'll deliver it by truck just like we picked it up. So it's trucking without trucks. It's putting it on the rail. It's a, a very small green footprint, you know, in terms of uh, your, your, your carbon emissions because you're using basically a couple of locomotives to haul 300 loads versus right. 300 tractors to haul 300 trailers. Right. And you know what I like about it also? It's I, I, I recognize and I love our truckers, but when you're driving sure. down the expressway some days, but I'm oh, just yeah. driving through Chicago, and you look around you and there's all these giants driving next to you. It's a little, it's a little foreboding yeah. feeling. Yeah. And I've always thought we should have a separate road, and we do have a separate road for those. It's called a rail. <laughs> but, rails, but, you yeah. know, I think also for those of you who haven't thought about it much, the, the intermodal changed everything in, in logistics and supply chain. You used to have people, I remember my dad telling me when he was a kid, he unloaded <laughs> boxcars and he yeah. goes, he goes, that was the worst, hardest job you'll ever have. You walk into it, he goes, you don't know how big it, uh, uh, one of those um, rail cars are until you have to empty oh, yeah. it. And yeah. so <laughs> when you're getting parts from China or Indonesia or Europe or wherever, they put something in there. They lift that, they, they do the same process. They dray it over to a rail, they mm -hmm. put it to, a, or maybe it's a truck, it gets to a port, it goes on the ocean in a container, and the next time it gets opened is at a warehouse or a factory somewhere. Exactly. And there isn't 10, di 10 different points where people have to load and unload uh, components. And again, exactly. when stuff like that gets touched, it gets broken, it gets lost, it gets stolen. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so this is a fantastic innovation. I think it's probably 50, 60 years old. I don't know how old it is. Oh, but. absolutely. Absolutely. It's probably older than that. You know, the one thing that, too, that I, I never really thought about, I was at a conference a few years ago, and the president of Schneider was there, and, and someone said, well, you know, what, when you see those Schneider 
rail containers. So when you're driving down the highway and you see these rail containers moving on those steel rails next to you, see full train of Schneider trailers. He said, what do you see? He said, I see safety. He, say, he said, I see 300 containers that are moving on a rail and that's 300 less trucks on the road, which means that that's, three, that's 300 more potential safe transits. You have to get a derailment is one thing, but when you, uh, you know, 300 trucks, you're taking 300 trucks off the road was basically his point. And then by doing that, you create a safety situation where that's less highway congestion too. So right. rail, rail is really one of those things that is complementary, and you can switch, you can switch out truck for rail when you have the capacity, which we don't want to talk about capacity right now. Yeah. Well, when you think about it, so it is greener to move yes. by rail. It is also, as you mentioned, safer. And none of us, again, we all love our truckers, but we don't want to drive next to them. Right? We don't want to have to pass true. them, that's right? That's true. That's true. Also, we do have a very big shortage of drivers. Maybe you guys heard about that. <laughs> um, we have one driver for those three, four hundred. I don't know how, how many how many oh, yeah, cars yeah. can you haul? Is it three, four hundred? Three, four, three, four hundred. You know, I hope that's not the president of Schneider calling up. <laughs> try the, so the the Teamsters calling up saying, "What are you talking about truckers like that for?" But right. uh, no, you you can take three to four hundred, sometimes even longer, uh, depending on the train, the length of transit. The the only inefficiency that I've ever felt we've had with the the rail system is when they built the East Coast Railroad and they built the West Coast Railroads. They don't connect. So when you get to Chicago or you get to these different areas, you've actually got two different tracks. Right. So you're doing what's called a, a rubber wheel crossroad. So a crosstown move. So you may come into, you know, one of the, the, the CSX ramp in Chicago, any 56th Street, whatever, and you got to go to Global 3, Global 4. You have a lot of congestion in Chicago. You're going to see those trucks because they're moving them crosstown. The railroads do not connect east to west even you know it's like they're going right. like this instead of like this they're like this so right. they miss and that's where you have your cross turn your congestion that's the one thing i wish they would ultimately fix but i don't know given the congestion of the infrastructure and the density in a place like chicago how you would do that uh to go uninterrupted right. coast to coast yeah, you know, I, I've often thought this, you know, when you go to Laredo, and I know we, a lot of this, not all, a lot of yeah. it, but some stuff goes straight through to Canada. There's products that go from Mexico to Canada. I mean, Canada's, what, 10% the size of the U.S. population. Oh, yeah. I've always thought there should be a rail that goes right from Laredo straight to the, right through the middle of the country. And I keep thinking that would be a logistics hub, right? through Every step along great. the way. It'd be great, <laughs> you know, but they, they haven't done that, you know. What's interesting about Canada is, uh, you know, 90% of the population was, lives within 100 miles of the border. So, you know, with the, the rails in, in Vancouver and Alberta and Toronto and everything, they're just as congested as, as we're seeing here oh, in, God, yeah. in the United States. I'll tell you guys, if you really want to enjoy a traffic jam, Toronto really knows how to throw a traffic jam. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. They're, they're real good with them. It's like, it's like the Los Angeles of the north, you know. Right. Speaking of Toronto, I've always wanted Toronto to have that professional sports team. And I keep hearing that the reason they don't get one is because so many Toronto people are Buffalo Bill fans. Well, yeah, that's true. You know, and I, I think it's funny because, like, you know, we had the Blue Jays playing here in Buffalo. You know, recently, they in the summer when they couldn't get back up to Toronto, we right. uh, we hosted the Blue Jays all summer. I went to a bunch of games and, and they did really well. But you know what? You heard a lot of people in Buffalo saying, well, why do I have to pay $14 for a beer? And why do I have to pay ten dollars for a hot dog? And I think we proved we're not really we we're, we've got a great product here in our AAA Bison's. We're not quite ready for prime time on the baseball side, but 
I don't know that Toronto would truly support American football. And we're we're glad that they're not taking our bills from us. I'll tell you that much. No, but, no, no. Especially they now. can't leave. Like that's that's always one of my heartbreaks when I hear a team moves. I hate oh, yeah. that. Yeah. I just I don't even like like we lost we lost Verlander from Detroit, and I always feel like in the olden days, it, it'd be like Al Kaline left and went to yeah. you know play for the Cubs. You're like it just can't happen. Oh, I know. It's like when, you know LeBron he had it down to Florida. I mean, it was like you know people just didn't expect it. There's right. something that feels like you got your left shoe on your right foot. And uh, no, we're uh, Toronto's a great city. We've uh, we've often looked at Canada. We've we've thought that Canada could be I love you know, it there. A, a next opportunity for us because we're primarily right now we have our, our 10 offices in the u.s we're thinking that canada may be one of those future opportunities for us so let, let's switch gears a little bit so you talked sure. about you guys started as a intermodal marketing right so what do they call that imc intermodal, IMC, intermodal marketing company yeah and and that basically means you're a broker of that service correct it, it, we're very similar to a transportation broker they used to call intermodal marketing companies consolidators which you know, as you had mentioned, you know, your dad talking back to those boxcars and all that. Uh, consolidators used to actually build the trains. They would find the customers. They would put together the segments of the trains because they'd say, okay, I've got 30 containers here. I've got 20 here. They'd work with the railroads to consolidate the freight, put it together, build the actual train. What we do as an intermodal marketing company is we arrange for the pickup drayage. We manage the per diem on the containers at origin destination. You build it a few days of of dwell time given the efficiencies of the modern day railroad right don't even get me started on that that's a whole other <laughs> but you want me to come back i'll talk all about that but they may not like me after i get done with that but so we build it we basically manage that transaction the way a freight broker manages point a to point b we manage it there's more complexity because you really have five to six different components of a rail move you have your origin dray you have your destination dray you have your line haul you have, you know, the, right. uh, the there's a lot of moving pieces, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's crazy. You're managing a container pool. You, there's so many pieces to it. So when you build a business, you know, it's not like the trains move any better. It's the quality of the associate. It's the quality of the team and it's getting the right people. It's making sure that not only getting the right people, but as leaders, we have to impart that knowledge. We have to train our team the best way. And we have to be students of the industry. If you're not a student of the industry that you're in, then you're just going through the motions. And if you don't keep up, then uh, you might as well mail it in and, and sit in Hawaii drinking Mai Tais and hope that your team you know, does the right thing. But we're, we're very, very engaged. Every day we have to be a learning organization. And if you stop learning, you're, well, they say if you're green, you're growing. If you're ripe, you're rotting. Uh, we'd, we'd like to stay green. We'd like to be the world's oldest startup. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So you guys started as an IMC. Mm -hmm. How much, what percentage of the, your business is still IMC? Well, I would say, you know, it, it vacillates. I mean, we, the, the big three for us would be rail, truck, and ocean. We do some air freight, but that's maybe, you know, we leave that up the experts, maybe two to three percent of what we do, not even. I would say that probably volume wise, about 40% of our volume is intermodal and 60% of our revenue is intermodal. And the reason I say that is because the length of haul means that we've got a larger receivable for each of the, uh, the shipments. Well, that make that makes sense because I think I just heard uh, on another podcast that air freight is about one percent of the total volume, you know, weight we'll say of international freight, Absolutely. and I think it's it's like thirty percent of the value. So you're not yes. shipping, you're not shipping auto parts typically. You're doing no. well, chips and vaccines like, and like pharma. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Cell phones can come here by that way, but it doesn't make sense to say, yeah, I've got tons of furniture and we're going to load it on a plane. That's just not the way it happens. So that makes sense that that's a smaller piece of your business. So, so talk about some of those key events along the way. So you've grown from, as you said, you know, just a, you know, let's move, let's move something on rail to 180 people in 10 offices. What were some of the key, key points along the way? Well, I, you know, I think when you look at key points, there's a lot of milestones. We used to be, we used to be a company, we'd say we had a lot of financial things. We had some acquisitions along the way. We have, we have more plaques, more plaques than a dentist office. I mean, you know, every office, we hit your million dollars. And the first time we hit a million dollars in sales for a month was truly, you know, a milestone for us. So we hit that first million dollars. Our, our controller at the time made up a plaque, sent one to the Atlanta office because we started Buffalo was an administration office in Atlanta was our, our operations office for rail. Well, as we did rail, we started doing truck because they're, they're sort of right. interchangeable and compatible. And so, you know, I think the first million to me truly was that point at which we felt, okay, now we're there. You know, we, we did, I think our first year we did maybe 3 million in sales and we lost a bunch of money because we were doing well, but then we got stuck right. on our receivables. So, you know, the financial financial goals are great. The first million, it took us a couple months to hit. And now we do probably over a million dollars a day in sales. So it's exciting. You know, our first acquisition uh, was, was, was exciting. We had, had purchased a company, a, a little office in Philadelphia, you know, that lasted for maybe about eight months. And then, you know, we, a couple of people from Philadelphia moved to Atlanta and we had another gentleman leave and, you know, you never know what you're going to get. So, I mean, I could, I could talk for hours about those things. I think Really, the major milestone for me was a few years into the business, we hit 19 million in sales. And until that point, I was the only sales guy. When we hit that 19 million in sales and I hired my first sales guy, that was a milestone because that's one of those things where, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you do everything. You, you want to make sure you're involved in collection of receivables. You want to be involved in the operations. My operations guys hate when I get involved in operations. I'm a sales guy. Right. So were you able to win business from Rich Products, your your family biz, or was that never part of the plan? Well, with Riches, it was really never part of the plan because, you know, with Riches and, and we've our, our family has always been a, a company that says, look, if you can add value, you're part of the, the equation. But if you can't add value, then you're sorry, you know. And, and it's funny because Riches really of our overall revenue this year, we're anticipating hitting about $325 million. And of that 325 million, riches is maybe five percent of it, maybe about ten. Million. And that's, that would seem like it's pretty specialized stuff, right? Oh, it's frozen. Yeah, you know, to me, it's funny because and I'm I'm very candid about it. Well, I would love to go to riches and say, look at, let's do more business. To me, it's it's a pride that you know, for us to grow this business, a lot of people would assume, well, you know, sure, you guys are successful because you're doing the riches business. To me, we're successful because we're not doing the riches business. Right, right. If, and, and winning it legitimately would feel like. It, well, also, I'm assuming your company, your family hasn't done as well as they've done by making a whole bunch of bad decisions. No, right? exactly. So. You know, <laughs> I mean, as much as I'd love to say nepotism works, in this case, it did because we built something. You know, and I, I was talking the other day to our our uh, our president of, of Rich Entertainment Group, which is where we fall in, which is apropos that we're under the entertainment group of companies because 
we're in transportation, but we are so entertaining. <laughs> so, you know, I was telling well, you. Well, you got I a said, guitar in the background there. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a musician. Yeah, I'm a musician. I definitely got a guitar over here. Up top here behind me is a picture of my father and my grandfather and I back when we had first bought the Buffalo Bisons. We were down at spring training. And on the other side, you can't really see it right here. You're saying bi- Bisons? I thought that was, I, I always thought that was Bison. So that's Bison? That's however you want to say it. That is a picture you can't see, but that was me when I was little with my dad and Tommy Lasorda. So oh, you're wow. welcome. To, and then, I, of course, up there, I've got a picture of my trucks. You know, oh, is yeah. I, yeah, the things that matter to me. There's sports and there's uh, my, my, my dad and my grandfather, the legacy and the, the bisons, the bisons, the bisons. <laughs> yeah. And I think, guys, if you're not, I think it, probably everybody listening here has at one time consumed Rich's products, whether they know it or not. Am I right absolutely, to say that? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so gone, if you put a little of that creamer in your coffee, oh, it yeah, might absolutely. say Rich on top. <laughs> yeah, well, if you if you go to a Burger King and you have the uh, the fish sticks, we make those fish patties. If you ever see Farm Rich and you're having those jalapeno poppers on a Sunday, those are us. If you have a Subway sub and the meatballs, those are our meatballs. A lot, 97% of what we do at Rich's uh, in frozen food is is private label or it's uh, it's in, institutional so you wouldn't know it's all food service so right. next time you're at the marriott and you have a donut enjoy when i worked at the racetrack when i was a kid and i remember we used to have those chocolate eclairs oh the eclairs these 12 packs <laughs> and they'd be frozen and we thaw them out and me and my friends that's when i started getting fat right then like <laughs> me and my friends would sneak into the storeroom and just one bite these eclairs like animals and oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, those are fantastic. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, it's funny. It's an interesting story because about the eclairs, my grandfather and his one of his brothers. My grandfather owned the largest ice cream company in Buffalo. My great my grandfather's brother, he said my great uncle, I guess my great uncle, yep. moved to West Palm Beach for health reasons. Started this company down there where he was making the eclair shells in West Palm Beach, trucking them to Buffalo, filling them with Rich's ice cream, and sending them back to South Florida. So Rich Ice Cream in South Florida was doing the eclairs, and then ultimately they started doing a Bavarian cream, then they did cream puffs and eclairs. That is right. my favorite product we've ever made. And we right. used to get them right off the line. You'd walk into Florida, and I would take people, everyone was like, can I have a tour of the plant? I was like, sure, which one? Florida, I want to get an eclair off the line. And Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and I just, I, I just noticed this on the, their website when we I was kind of prepping for this, and I saw that it's sure. a Carvel, Carvel Ice Cream is yep. part of Rich's now. And there's people in Michigan who always go, we don't have Carvel here, but there's no real ice cream. You know, you go to the ice cream oh, yeah. thing, and there are just millions of ice creams. There's Haagen-Dazs, Ben & Jerry's, all these. Yeah, but we don't have Carvel. And I, we probably do now. <laughs> yeah, well, what we do we do all the in-store stuff. So, I mean, with us, we do the ice We bought the ice cream cake business. They still operate their own. The, the co-ops operate and the owners operate their own stores. But when you go into a store and you see one of the birthday cakes from Carvel, that's rich products. Yeah. And a lot of these stores too, you know, the private label we do for Albertsons and, and, and Walmart, we do a lot of right. things and for Price Chopper. So a lot of what Riches does, you wouldn't know is actually Riches. Riches, uh, if you want to find out more about our family business, our legacy and the company and the food, you can go to uh, www.rich.com. I'll put, the, I'll put that in the show notes so the people oh, please can do. look at that. Please do. So, so yeah, so it's, again, I think uh, very successful. And that's another thing. And while we're, while we're talking about this, you know, 
when you grow up with a successful family like that, I, I think it's almost, it's a cliche to say like, oh, you're just going to end up screwed up. Like, yeah, we got too much of mom and dad's oh, money. Yeah. And I mean, you, you could have said, hey, dad, you know, no sense me being here. I should be a TV producer in Hollywood. Sure. <laughs> you can come out and visit me. I'll date starlets. That'll be my new life. And you, but <laughs> Why didn't what's you tell me about this in my 20th? I've been taking a different, different path. No, but, but you think about it. How many people, how many, how many generations do you see that in the third and fourth generation? where they really just lost the the drive and the energy of the, the previous generations. How did your family kind of keep all of you in the straight and narrow? Because it, it'd be your grandfather founded Riches, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, we're actually coming into our fourth generation at Rich Products. As a privately held frozen food company, as a privately held company in general, you know, it's important as you go through generations. They say the first generation creates it, the second generation builds it, the third generation tears it to shreds. Right. Which it's it's very common. I I know a lot of very uh, successful businesses. It's it's almost the norm. Oh, it it absolutely is. You know, we have a saying, we have two sayings in our family that you will always hear. And if you were to walk up to any of my cousins, my siblings, my dad, my my kids, uh, the first saying is, to much whom is given, much is expected in return. And there's... uh, there's six words we never say. It's the dirty six. It's, do you know who I am? <laughs> well, <laughs> I noticed I, I noticed the same things on your, your website that's reflected in their, your culture. And I think, you know, your family is one of the great benefactors of Buffalo. And if there's one thing that I can say about the, the, the great northern cities, you know, as we kind of went through that Rust Belt time in the 70s and 80s where everything seemed to be moving south and, and west, it took these first families of, and Detroit's the same way. We've gone through our problems, but it's the city leaders. It's the first families that said, Hey, we're going to fix this. And they still are. The, any renaissance that happens is because of leadership. We're trying. And, <laughs> right now, we could just get the snow out of it. Get the snow out of upstate New York and out of Detroit. <laughs> we can be the Sunbelt. Anyway. Oh, yeah. No. So back to, back to the trucking thing. So, You've, you've had this incredible growth, and we talked a little bit about the milestones. Obviously, there had to be some bumps and bruises along the way. What did you learn along the way? What was some of the, what did you not know when you started this business that you know now? <laughs> well, you know, everything, everything. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to follow up one point you had brought up about how do we keep it all together. Uh, as a family, just on the generational thing, just to sort of put a cap on right. it, we have meetings, quarterly shareholder meetings. We have meetings where we discuss issues. We as a family, you're, it takes more and more work to keep businesses privately held and to make sure that we do focus in on family first. You can either be a, a family-run business or a business-run family. We consider us a family-run business, and we also are never going to sell. But to maintain that work, everybody's treated equally. And we, if you don't give, you don't take. It's a, so, but we do. We value the first thing we value most is our associates, and we value our family and. And we are working every day to make sure that we maintain a harmonious uh, relationship and working arrangement with all of us. And we uh, we are growing our business. We will never sell. And and the the work and and the the effort you have to put in to maintain family harmony is is well worth it. Right, right. You know, I, I joke I joke about this, but it's really no joke. You ever see these rock rock bands? They grow and oh yeah. They struggle and they struggle and they live in a van and they drive around from city to city. They have no money. And and when you hear them in their 50s, they talk about, we would split a sandwich and we were starving, but we loved what we were doing. I'd never trade it. 
And then at some point, they see a little bit of success. They have a few albums, they get famous, and then they break up. And then at some point, 25 years later, they're like, hey, dude, you want to get back together? I can We're do some bucks. <laughs> yeah. We can do it on that oldies tour thing. Yeah, yeah, we can play, we can play, we, we can play, we can play again. It's going to be a pain in the ass. We got to play the oldies. And I keep thinking, I think Metallica actually hired a psychologist or like a psychiatrist. It was psychiatrist. a great movie, yeah, some kind of monster. It was a great movie. <laughs> I, I, thought, I, I thought this was true. I thought they had actually hired like a psychologist where they, they did, said. They did. Really? I didn't yeah, they, see the movie. Well, they, they did a documentary. It was called Some Kind of Monster. You know, <laughs> You have to. It's 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 tough, but you know what? If you're first and foremost, you're a family, right? Well, that's 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 so important. And you know, it's funny because everyone goes to the family reunion. If you can't go to the family reunion because so and so uh, is is taking and not giving, and you know, <laughs> and we're talking about corporate turn takeovers and whatever oh, yeah. else, yeah, that's not family. That's yeah, that's a business. Yeah. But that's the important thing for us is to remain a family. You know, you're, you're not going to be a business-run family because if you're a business-run family, you lose sight of the personality and the complexion of your family. If you're a family-run family business, family-run business, then it's it's the obligation we have not only to each other, to our shareholders, but also to each other and to our associates. We have an obligation to 12,000 12, associates that work for the company. Multiply that times four, with the average family members being four family members that we're responsible for, and you're talking thousands and thousands of people that as an ownership group, and as a family, we have a responsibility to make sure that we do everything to invest in their success uh, and invest in the success of the business so we can grow, provide those opportunities, take care of, of family, uh, and treat our associates like family. So if you, if you lose sight of that in business, and all you do is look at killing the golden goose and slaughtering the business and taking the money out, not putting any effort in, and not giving back, then you are truly not being a good steward of your company. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, again, I, I, if you guys should look at Riches of Buffalo, you will see that he, that's, those aren't just words. You guys live to it. We do. So, it falls along the way. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, one of your bumps <laughs> and bruises. So what did you learn, learn along the way that, again, you would do differently? Well, you know, there's, there's certain times where I – I, I shot first and then I ask questions. I, I think the one thing that I've learned is that you, you have to be patient. Patience and caring for your team is, is very important. I mean, if you, if you talk about things that you know, were critical incidents, I mean, I could tell you about times where we built relationship with customers. We got stung for receivables. It's money. Okay. Right. You know, we had, we had a trailer full of one of our commodities. We had a trailer hit by an RPG in Mexico, <laughs> you know, going, oh going through, going through uh, Mexico city. We had a, a trailer going for delivery, the, the, the hole in one side and going up the other. So we had trailers hit by, by hurricanes and tornadoes going, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. We've had containers lost off of ships. You know, we've, um, we've weathered a lot of these, these storms, but I think the biggest challenges that we ever saw were, that's such a good question because <laughs> it depends what you did, what you really define as a road, as a bump or a roadblock. But, you know, I think the, the biggest challenge we had and we always have in every day is, is a challenge of establishing credibility in an industry that's very mature, very saturated. And, and a lot of new companies are, are, right. see that same thing. 
we had to go out and we started the business. We had to go to each of the class one railroads, and there's seven of them. We had to go to each of them and convince them that this company starting up from nowhere is going right. to deliver results. And we're going to go out, we're going to, we're going to come up with a plan to build a company and bring new freight off the road onto the rails, build the credibility as we go along. And, and that probably was the biggest challenge. I mean, you know, you have up years, you have down years, you had Hurricane Katrina, you have a plague, you right. know, COVID. I refer to COVID as a plague. And, and it, it's very similar to a lot of plagues that we faced in the past, past. But, you know, for us, it's been, it was a challenge initially, but I think as we started realizing our role in the supply chain, you know, capacity is a challenge. We really, we embrace that role and we've, we've, we're honored and we're, we, we are truly honored to serve the American people as well as the world as a global logistics provider to be able to deliver at a time of, uh, of tremendous challenge. So I would say this has been a, a, a one of those roadblocks. We, We've seen everything. I mean, let's look back over the right. last 20 years. I mean, we've seen right. everything, you know, but this has probably been one of the biggest challenges for us. But, you know, our team has been very resilient. We figured out ways to work at home like we're doing now and um, get things going and, and serve, serve our country and serve the world. Yeah, it's, I've been saying all during COVID that, you know, before your essential workers do their work, our, yes. our essential workers deliver the stuff, right? Oh, yeah. yeah not, not saying they're better. I'm just saying is yeah. this is such an essential thing. And, you know, you mentioned this being the plague. It has been really, it has accelerated a lot of things. It's highlighted some things for sure, some weaknesses in the supply chain. And it's also fed me too much. Thank you. This is the I think this is the first plague or pandemic where people I mean, gained weight. <laughs> right? it's, it's like the freshman fifteen. It's like you know, it's it's a plague poundage. It's, yes. you know, it's a, somebody okay. called it the COVID nineteen or twenty on my COVID. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean to make light of it. It's, it's been a, a tremendous, tremendous challenge. And you know, but for us, I mean, you know, really in the business, I think we've never really hit any. Other than establishing that credibility, we've never had any major roadblocks to growing. I mean, we, you know, the, the, you always have a challenge of making sure that you you keep your customers happy. You've always got a challenge of making sure that you maintain a competitiveness. You always have to make sure that you're paying your carriers on time. But the most important goal is the challenge of making sure that you're taking care of your associates that work for you. You're making sure they have everything they need to succeed. For me, if you hear me say it once, you'll hear me say it a hundred times, is that uh, we're at a point in our company where I will provide the easel, I will provide the paint, I will provide the canvas and the brushes. It's my associate's job to take those those tools and paint their masterpiece. I want everybody at this company to, uh, to contribute to their masterpiece, paint the masterpiece, paint the vision of the company, and it's up to everybody at the company to do that because... You know, I'm one guy. I'm, I'm a cheerleader. My job right now is the greatest job in the world. I'm a cheerleader. I'm telling the story of our company. And, and, and we, we don't usually, in fact, this is the first podcast I've ever been asked to do. And I really appreciate it, Joe. Well, thank you. I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> oh man, we could talk for. I've got half a day if you want. I got, I got, I got Tim. I'm bored. I got Tim Hortons here. I'm gonna plug for Tim Hortons, one of our biggest customers over at Rich Products. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be able to tell the story. It's not the story of. Of Bob Rich, it's not the story of Rich Products. It's it's the story of our 180 associates and the the ones who've been with us in the past, the ones who are no longer with us, the ones who are just joining us. The masterpiece and the legacy that they're creating for for future generations of this company. 
Yeah, you know, I think we were introduced by some. I'm trying. I'm drawing a blank on the uh, guy's name. Was it name. Keith Far- Keith Farnsworth? Yeah. Was it Keith yes, out it was in? Keith. Uh, yep, in Arizona. There's a consulting company. I'm going to, I'm going to screw it up, but if one of the big six consulting companies said we will be known by our alumni, and Keith is a good example. And I remember Keith great said, guy. "Oh, you you have to have Bob on your podcast. He's a great guy. No longer works for. He says he's the best. He's the best." And I was like, "All right, I'd love to have him on my podcast." And and so it's it's you know not not everybody's going to stay forever, but it's good when somebody leaves and says, "But I still love the place." <laughs> That's awesome. It, it really is. You know. My problem, and it's it's probably the one thing that when I look at my biggest challenges, is that I'm like, if you throw a tennis ball out in the middle of the ocean, it's going this way, it's going this right. way, it's this way. So I mean, literally, Robin it's like, in the waves. <laughs> I, you know, but that, it's okay. I mean, I, I I guess to me, when I talk to my associates, I I try to um, to have a, a, a unique perspective with each of my. I, I always believe that if you can have a five minute conversation with anybody who works for you and know them, know their family, be able to talk to every associate for at least five minutes, then as a leader, you're, you're drawing engagement, you're creating engagement, you're creating a relationship with your team and you have to be able to do that. So when I say I'm bobbing around here at Ocean, all I need to do is when I get off this podcast, somebody sees it, one of my guys calls up and says, hey, Bob, why are we doing ice cream on Tuesdays? I'm like, why are we doing ice cream on Tuesdays? <laughs> so then I'll call up my assistant, Megan or Jenny, and I'll say, hey, every office, we're doing ice cream next Tuesday. Or, right. you know, why don't we have a shirt? Why don't we have a hat? Why don't we have something that, why don't we have a, a mug that looks like this with our logo on it? Right. I, I am so excited about what we're doing. And, and the guys will tell me to say, get out of operations because I call myself the great distractor. You know, they're, they're <laughs> working, they're working away. And I come down and it's like, What's going on? How are you doing today? You doing good? What do you need? What's happening? Do you remember 10 years ago when we did this? Do you remember we had theme right. days? You know, so for me, I've got a great team that, that you know, I, I think back to those first 19 million, when I stepped out of the role as a primary sales guy, my role included being the hospitality director. And I love to support and promote my team. I, you know, as much as people could call me a lunatic around the office or say you're over caffeinated, well, yes. But if you can draw a positive spirit, that's the greatest thing in the world. Right. And, you know, there's an old saying, and I'm, I'm, I'll botch it, of course, but there's an old saying that the team can never outperform the coach. And yeah. I've, I've talked to a lot of people. I've observed smaller companies sometimes where you look and go, you got a good team there, but it's almost like there's some problem at the top where maybe doesn't want to let go of control, which I fully understand, by the way. They can <laughs> have it. It's your baby. <laughs> it's your baby. But when you grow something and you say, this is, this is my baby. And at some point it becomes our baby, right? It's hard to say I'm letting go of this company and letting other people create their masterpiece. And yes. I think, you know, this, I think you probably already answered this question, but I'll ask it anyway. Why do you think you guys have succeeded so much? I mean, to, you, to grow as quickly as you have, you guys were always listed one of the top freight brokers and logistics yeah. companies. People are people. I can't say enough about the team that we have. And I hope they, they, they outperform me every day. You know, should, should they, they, they outperform every day. But those people were working somewhere else where they probably weren't as successful. So you guys are doing something differently internally to make that, create that culture. Well, the, the, the most important thing you can do to have a, a motivated, engaged team is empower them to succeed. Let them control their own destiny. Too many people work at places where they're line cooks. 
but they never get to be a sous chef. They never get to right. be the maitre d'. I want to, at the end of the day, I want to be able to go into a meeting with a sales guy, with an operations guy, sit down with a customer and say, look, at, this is Jim Smith. He is your dispatcher. He's going to tell the story of Roar. And I'll sit here. Right. You know, let them go. To me, I feel that as as a leader, and a lot of people may say, "Well, you're just you're just lazy. You're just you're just handing it off." Effective leaders and good leaders are the ones that put themselves at the bottom of the hierarchical chain. Because if you're up top here, it's one thing. But if you're down here, you're boosting them up. So right. I believe that's truly what you have to do. Everybody at this company, I, if you trust them, then it's not easy to give up control. If you trust the team, you trust your leaders. Until somebody shows you that they're not doing what you set out to have them do, then right. it's all good. We celebrate, we work hard, we celebrate hard, we we play hard. So to me, I feel that the most effective leaders are the ones that can let people take the company, roll with it, build with it, and give them the excitement of sharing with you the victories along the way. And then you get the excitement of high-fiving them or slapping their back if you can still do that in this day right. and age. But they get the accolades for doing what they do. Our, our right. team, like I said, I can't, I can't say enough about our team. I, it's like right. they know what they got to do, go out and do it. Yeah, it's interesting though. You're you're talking about culture here, and I, I I wrote an article years ago and it was with one of my customers, and I thought it was I learned something from creating it with my customer. And one of the things sure. we kind of came to the conclusion is, is that a lot of companies will say, "I don't really have time." The old leadership team doesn't have time to build a culture. Like, oh, we're busy. You know, we're I don't have time for all that pie in the sky fuzzy sure. stuff. Right? We're not going to hug each other. This is going to be. We'll work on the business, and when we get to this point, then we'll focus on culture. Yeah. And and so then you look and say, yeah, I'll work on culture when I get done with the receivable problem, the hiring problem, the firing problem, the cash flow problem. And so everything's there that you have to work on first, and it all does seem more important. But then what we kind of came to the conclusion is all those things go away if you build, get the right people and the right culture, all those little problems go away. So, so it seems as if it's pie in the sky. It's almost like going to the gym, right? You say, I don't have time to go to the gym. Well, do you have time to be sick for six months when you're old? <laughs> well, if people say that we, you know, it, it's the old saying, and I'm going to sound cliche, you know, oh, well, you know, we, we, we can't afford to, to build culture. Well, can you afford not to? Because as we've looked at acquisitions, I'll tell you what, Joe, the first criteria for me when I buy a company or do an acquisition or, or bring somebody in the fold, if the culture is not there, I don't care if they're making trillions of dollars. I will not acquire a business that does not have a complementary culture to what we have uh, or hasn't shown me a vision, a mission statement, and the fact that they are geared towards becoming a highly performing operation and organization with a positive culture. It's that important these days. If you don't have it, we, we don't want it. We don't want to make the acquisition. Right. I, I got two two daughters in their 20s, and it's funny. that When I started working, I was 19. I went to school at night. And I remember guys I worked for fought in World War II, and it was that top down, right? They might scream sure. at you for for nothing just to set the tone, right? Remember we and, had to wear ties to work? Right? <laughs> ties. Oh, ties, and suits. ties and yeah. suits. Yeah. Yeah. And... <laughs> I, I, even when they said, don't wear it, I remember we would wear yeah. like, oh, well, you can go casual, which means I won't wear a tie. Yeah. Can I wear my jacket? <laughs> right? But yeah. but today's today's younger people say, look, I can go work at places that really do value me as a person. I got to do the job. They're going to help me get better. They're going to help me succeed. 
I'm going to have a purpose in life as opposed. So they're looking for that and they won't go to a company or stay at a company that has yes. a bad culture or doesn't treat them right. Yeah. You have to treat your people right. I mean, I, and you know, it's not, why and I, I ask this is one of these moments that it's like, why is it so difficult? You, you know what? You're at home. You walk your dog, you, you, you kiss your significant other, you drive your kids to school. And then you go in the office and you, you act like an ass to everybody right. or you change <laughs> you, your hat turns and all of a sudden you're all business. If you're a good person, if you're a good person, why can't leaders, a lot of leaders, why can't they take that to work with them? Why right. can't you concern yourself? To me, I would go to the ends of the earth for my team. And if you, and it's out of sincerity. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you can't BS these guys. If you are not a sincere person, if you're not a good person, right. you're not going to be a good leader. I prove me wrong. You know, right. I mean, right. you can have a, you look at, look at the, the Detroit, you know, is, is 0 and 6 or 0 and 7, but I'm sure the coach is a good guy and he's not giving up and he's going to keep being the good person that he is. Right. Any of these organizations, a failing organization, a succeeding organization, you do not change who you are. When you go in that door, you act exactly as you are at home. Unless you're a jerk right. at home, and then you get <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah, there's some people probably just the opposite. So, oh, so, absolutely. so you feel like a big part of this success has just been getting the right people and building this culture that just allows them to keep being successful. And you said you mentioned yeah. acquisitions along the way. Like, so how sure. much of your growth has been organic versus how much has been acquired? Well, you know, we've we've had some good ones. We've had some ones that didn't work so well. And, and when you say a big part of my our growth is people. All of our growth is our people. All of our success is our people. So I want to make sure we call that 100% of what we do. I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. God willing, I hope I don't. But all of our success is our people. So that's one word, people. That's what defines us. But I got to warn you, don't say that. So I used to run a little logistics company. And I used to say, sure. I, I, I want every process documented. And I always wanted oh, yeah. cross-training. So I'd take people and I'd say, you never know if someone would get hit by a truck. And I was crossing the street by our I'm office. knocking on wood right now, right? And the truck ran a red light and hit me when I was walking across. So, so when, so, I, so the next day, the hospital wife, one of my, one of my guys, brought my laptop to me, and he said, "When you said someone could get hit by a truck, he goes, you weren't kidding.' I was like, I was kidding. I was kidding. Sure, you're, you're the first, you're the first guy I've ever heard who said, you know, oh, I've ever got hit by a truck and did and did. I know. <laughs> I used to say, oh, my God, I worked out so hard, or I worked out in the yard. I feel like I got hit by I worked out at the gym or in the yard. <laughs> I feel like I got hit by did. a truck. I never say that anymore. <laughs> and then you did. Okay, I'm knocking on wood. Be you know, careful say, about buses. <laughs> exactly. I did stay off a of plane. So, you know, I, I think really with the acquisition, you talk about growth and everything. We've, we've done a couple acquisitions that worked out very well for us. We've gotten some great people. Probably of our growth, I would say about – 20, maybe 30 to 40% present day is, is acquisition. We acquired a great company, a, a great friend of ours who was ready to, to, to get out and uh, to sell was Fred Beasley with Integra Logistics down in Houston. We acquired them several years ago. The team is awesome. The culture, Fred, great guy. Fred is like one of the great ambassadors of the logistics industry. If you know him or if anyone watching knows Fred, they know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, we could go out and have a hamburger at McDonald's and he could tell you the perfect wine pairing, you know, <laughs> or he could, he could make it seem like you're eating the greatest meal in the world. Fred is a, is, is a, a true, Fred is a rock star in the industry. When we acquired his company, Fred stayed on. The company's doing great. We've integrated their offices. 
we're growing. It was a tremendous, tremendous acquisition. So, you know, it went well and it was because of culture. So, so the podcast I'm publishing today is mm-hmm. with Chris Wofford and it's uh, the great logistics consolidation, the late, the great logistics industry consolidation. So we're seeing, you know, and I, I know it's driven by there's bigger players like yourself and then there's companies that are. Oh yeah. Let me call them out. Let me call, right? let me call these other guys out for you. When you get done here, keep going. I've got, I'm, I'm like chopping at the bit to get. Right. So, so. You know, we're because of this shift to B to C, and we're seeing because money's still relatively cheap, sure. and we then there's this tech disruption. There's just a lot of acquisitions that are happening, and I know um, I don't want you to say whether you're acquiring new companies or not, but what sure. do you think about that? I mean, because I do think we're seeing, going to see. This is how I feel about it just from the podcast, I feel like we're entering in a place of haves and have nots. People who can spend on and invest in technology, can invest in marketing, can invest in new offices and companies that can't and or won't. And maybe you're 55 years old and you say the hell with it. I'm just going to sell because I don't want to learn this tech stuff. I don't want to invest in this tech stuff this late in my life. So what do you think of all this consolidation and M&A activity in this space? Glad you said it because I'm sitting here waiting. I'm waiting for him. I'm waiting for him to mention M&A because let me let me state my position on a few things. I, I love doing it because I will always justify my position. I probably get called once or twice a month, maybe sometimes more, by venture capital firms. So let's talk venture capital. I am not a proponent. I am not a fan of VC rollups. I'm not a fan of people getting into this industry to buy, build, and sell. Because ultimately, somebody comes to me and they say, I've got a company, and then I start, I sign the NDA, I start peeling it away. Well, I'm getting approached by a venture capital company that bought up six logistics companies, coming back, trying to turn around and sell them to me for a big gain for some investor who can't even spell logistics. Right. So from that standpoint, I am not a fan of it. I, but I'm yeah. a... I'm a I'm an old trucking guy, you know? You're a builder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not somebody, you know, it'd be like for me to go out and say, well, you know, I, this guitar over here, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out and buy three or four guitar companies just because I know that I can turn a 20 or 30 or 40% return on my money. I am right. not a fan of the, uh, the dine and dash here. And that is a dine and dash. I don't like it. I, I think that it, it creates a situation where, uh, it creates companies going in, buying other companies at, at incredible multiples, you know, 10 to 12, 14 times multiples. It was like when XBO did the roll up. It worked out great for Brad Jacobs, who's a good friend. But, you know, at the end of the day, you get people get in these industries here that don't know anything about logistics. All they know is that they want to roll it up, put it on Wall Street, or they want to roll it up and sell it to somebody else. I am not a fan of venture capital. If I buy a company, I'm buying it to build. And right. that's where we, I think we get a better reception from people that are looking to sell their companies because... You know, they know that I'm buying it to build it. They've seen that we've got a track record of growing a company for the sake of growth. We're a division of $4 billion company, a food company. We're a 300 and something million dollar transportation company. I want to grow this. I'm not doing it for Igor and the fact I'm growing a business that I want to see give opportunity for people to work and to grow and versus these, these M&As come out here. And if you want to take the, the, the quick dollar and you want to sell your company, fine. But I, I think it does a tremendous disservice to the team that has built that company to give you the success to turn around and put a bunch of cash in your pocket. Right. Well, I think, you you know, you've talked the whole time we've, we've been talking here for the last 45 minutes, you've talked about culture 
And I think that this is one of the challenges. I don't know against VC or private equity or anything else, right? There's sure. there's good and there's bad, right? It's just a tool. But you do take a chance with culture. When somebody says, yeah, I'm rolling these industries, they're looking at the financial. They're not oh, saying, yeah. oh, I toured through and I saw this culture is complementary with these one. This seems like a good fit. No, they're saying, I'm looking at the numbers and it all seems to work out pretty well. And here we go. <laughs> to me, it's a very sterile approach. I mean, I don't look at, you know, people want to come out and they want to claim that they've got a tech disruptor. Okay, that's fine. There's there's space in this industry for companies that do this tech, tech disruption. There's space for companies like Uber that ultimately make us look better because we've got a personal aspect to it. And they're going to put the time and the money and technology. They're going to build something. They'll have they'll depersonalize the industry by, by clicking on an app. And maybe kids are more into that or maybe people are more into saying, well, let's click an app and get a truck. Well, that doesn't always work that way. So as a company that doesn't focus on tech disruption, sure, we've got technology, but for us, we look at our, our customer base, we define the customers that we realize are not gonna look to an app to move their freight. So it takes a little more time for us to, to build, and to, to develop our, our culture like that. But this industry has changed so much in the past 10 years. Oh, I guess you so. Know, <laughs> VC money, tech disruption, you know, driverless trucks, which, you know, that'll be an interesting situation there. You yeah, know, we'll, uh, we'll, be, we'll be done. We'll be not working by that time. So so switching gears a little bit, this is more just on the personal side. So you've, you've had a lot of success here at Roar, and I'm sure, again, you, you had your ups and downs. How do you personally manage setbacks and failures? You know, I think the greatest way to do that is to make sure that you always talk. You talk through it. I mean, there's there's times that I will, my guys will never not get bad news from me. And when I get frustrated with them, I mean, I'm a musician. I, I play my music. I mean, I beat on my guitar a little bit or go down and kick around my son's drums or walk my dog or, or, or hang out with uh, with my girlfriend, Christine, and we're, we talk through it. I think when you, you were in a situation where you, you are leading a company, I, I once had somebody tell me, you know, it's lonely at the top. And I'm like, yeah, I, I see what you mean. But how I've dealt with it being lonely at the top is I put myself at the bottom. I've put my team above me, so I always have a, a good resource. I can pretty much talk to these guys about anything. We, we recently went through a, a tragedy of losing an associate suddenly, and I found that being able to talk through things like that with the team, and, and if you have, you're sincere with your associates, you're sincere with your team, and you let them know you care about them, because you either care about somebody or you don't. You can't fake it. People see through the BS if you don't care about your team. And I think by being candid and by, by sharing raw emotion as well as sharing, you know, opinions or, hey, we had a back, so we had a backpedal here, we did this here. You have to have a strong team around you, but you can't just limit it to your management team. You have to be able to, to know that you have trusted associates, trusted friends, people that you can, you can unload on it. And a lot of our ideas, some of our greatest ideas have come from, uh, from guys that aren't always management team or aren't exec, they are, you know, they are the dispatch crew, they're the customer service. But we look for that. I, I encourage people to come to me and, and, and talk to me and, and very much like I'll download on them. I mean, I won't go in there and constantly download on them, but I'll, I'll be realistic. Right. No, that's, I think that's, it. and again, this is a, the, I think there's probably people, especially as the company grows and they go, oh, that's Bob Rich. You don't know who he is, right? He would never say that, but they are saying that in their minds, especially as you're the CEO of this company and, 
so it's great that you've created this, this, um, taking the barriers away and taking the fear away because there's nothing better than going home at 25 years old and say, I was just talking to Bob Rich and he said it was a good idea. <laughs> no, you might not feel that way, but they feel oh, but that way. You get it. You, you definitely get it. I think, you know, growing up, you know, it's funny to talk about these, these reality shows of growing up Osborne or growing up whatever. You know, there's, there's a lot of times when you do, and this, this circles back to the, the discussion of, uh, multi-generational family business you know there's a lot of times people could say well you know you're you're bob rich the third wow your your dad your grandfather well is you know are you related to richie rich you get all that crap you know you know, must be must be nice must be nice but you know what it, it it sort of is it's not that you don't work for so in our family the way it is it, it, it's nice to to know that you have a pedigree but the, the nicest thing about it is is to know that we have a family that's never put an expectation on us a family that's never spoiled anyone, a family that's never handed anything to you, but has said, look, if you want to be successful in your industry, you've got a grandfather, you've got a father, you come from a family of entrepreneurs, you can get the tools to be successful, but you will never be handed a position. Uh, you'll never be handed the keys to a logistics company. I mean, Joe, we, we started this business, you know, we started this with nothing. This is right. every dollar at this company has found money and the money goes back into the business. I don't, you know, I have a new boat pulling up outside the office at the lake there and taking me off to wherever. I'm not jetting off in a private jet. I shop at Kohl's, man. I just, yeah, it's comfortable. I'm a musician. I didn't even thought I'd be, a, I, I refer to myself as the reluctant leader because <laughs> I, I never really thought that it would be something that I'd want to do as lead a company. And I don't look at a leader. I look at myself as a listener. I look at myself as, as a cheerleader. And I think leaders let their teams lead and they've empowered them with the tools to be effective. I've got 180 leaders in my company and That's it's fantastic. the greatest thing in the world. My job is to, to nurture them and to, to bring that culture along. And I love it. I, 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 you know, I'm so energized by everything going on and it's not it just sounds like it. You've got an energy about you. Definitely. So three things. So what's next for this industry? And that's a big question I know. And then what's <laughs> next for roar and then what's next for you? Well, you know, what's, what's next for roar is what's next for me. And what's the, all these things, things tie in. What's next for the industry is next for Roar is next for me. I, they're going to wheel me out of here someday as the leader <laughs> of this company. For Roar, my, my goals are, I would like to keep on our acquisition path. I think as we get into the industry, I don't think I see us getting into assets, although I would have loved to have had them like the last three years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> get rid of them and just sort of <laughs> shuffle them off and, and not worry about it. I, I think what's next for Roar is just to keep, you know, doing what we're doing. I think for us, we keep sort of a low profile in the industry. This is really, like I said, Joe, this is the, the first interview I've ever done about the company in oh, I'm years. <laughs> I, well, I am too. I, this is, this is awesome, man. I, you know, I mean, we, we've done, we've done, you know, just written and everything, but I've never really had a chance to, to get out and tell the story of the company. And I had one of our, one of my great mentors once told me, he said, your job is to be a cheerleader. Nobody's going to tell the story of your company as, as you will. So for what's next for the industry I see is that as this consolidation roll-up thing keeps going on here, I hope to see that the spirit you know, that I've carried with my company, a lot of these other leaders take that same spirit. Let's stop the consolidation. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's grow this industry. Customers want character. Companies have to have character. Companies need to define their character. I'm happy to acquire businesses out there, but we need to make sure the characters are, are complementary. I see us continuing on a path of getting into uh, places such as Canada. 
I see us expanding what we do on the truck and rail side. They're not making any more railroads. There are a bunch of companies out there that do what we do. There's a bunch that we like. There's there's some people out there. We, we look to buy a company, integrate them in, keep the leadership on, build the business. So to me, every associate we have is like family. So as we grow the business, it's nice to grow our family. So for me, I, I think we stay on this path. I think we invest in technology. We have to. I don't want to be a disruptor, but I want to know that my team has the tools to do their job better. I'm not going to tell anyone how to reinvent the wheel. We're going from A to B. And if a company is that type A and so focused on, well, it's got to be this, it's got to be this, this window will pick up this delivery. We want to we want to grow a business that is is fun. I've always said I want Roar to always be the company that I would love to go to work for right out of college. You know, it's interesting. I just was on LinkedIn this morning and I saw one of my associates who's like 60 and he said, I'm retiring. This He turned 60 today. I'm retiring. And he works at a big company. And good for him. He's he's a smart guy and he's done well. Well, one of the things I was thinking is, God, I don't, I don't want to retire. I, I really, I think if you're doing something you want to do, you, you said you're going to take me out of this office feet oh, yeah. first. And I think that, that you want to create a, a company that, that that reflects that. So, if, you know, sometimes you work in a place where you're like, okay, I get a pension and I'm going to leave here and I have to stay for five more years and you're counting down the days that I think that's a misery and we don't want to have that in this. Uh, I, I want to get, I think no. ideally everybody should have a job where you go, I love it. And I want to continue to grow in it. And, you know, it sounds like you're trying to, de- well, you have developed a company where that's possible, where you say, this is a cool place to work and I want to stay here. Right. Yeah, I'm not, well, no rush to get out. I'm no rush to go home and watch the prices right every day. <laughs> <laughs> I got a TV in my office. I usually have fear factor going on. It sort of reminds me of my limitations. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I agree with you, Joe. You know, to me, if we can create a company, I, I look at this as, uh, there was an old car ad once where they show a little kid pushing a car down the road and everything. And they're like, Jimmy never learned to drive within the lines. And they show him going off road in every direction. Right. I think that you're only limited by your imagination you're only limited by your your limitations you place on yourself. To me, I love going into this company every day, and I'm I'm spoiled. I, I not in terms of anything other than the fact that I get to go into work. I can pick up my phone any day and talk to 180 different associates and say, "How's your day going? What's happening? How's this happening?" And I, you know, I know what's going on. We do fundraising. We do charity. Everyone will say, you know, you know, they say, well, that's a distraction. It's not your core business. Well, guess what? My core business is providing a company that's exciting, that's fun, that people look forward to getting up every day and coming to work and saying, okay, well, what it. It, yeah. what's he going to do next? What are we going to do next? Half of our ideas come from our team. Tell me what we're going to do for a theme day in November. Tell me what we're going to do in December. Give me something to look at. Show me what we need to do next. And, and listen, I'm game, man. If I'm just, if I'm rubber stamping an approval on something and it's fun, it's exciting and people like it, let's do it. But, you know, I think that we've been blessed because you, there's a time to play, there's a time to work and there's a balance. And in 18, 19 years, knock on wood, the team we've put in place has been diligent enough to know that when we work hard, we play hard, we celebrate hard, we give back to our communities. If you don't give, you don't take. And we try and give back every day, not only to our communities, but also to each other. So 
I, I mean, I, I'm blessed, man. I have, the, I have the greatest job in the world. <laughs> it sounds like it. So I've gone way over my time with you, but I want to, well, I appreciate making the time. So Absolutely. before we wrap this bad boy up, who is the sweet spot for you guys? Who do you guys serve and who's the sweet spot that you say, this is just the, this is the, the guys we're looking for every day? The guys who pay me a trillion dollars a mile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a little easier these days. <laughs> well, we, we, look, we look for customers that are complementary to us in a lot of the way. We look at logistics as a strategic weapon for our customer. So if you're good at logistics, you're good, especially right now, given supply chain challenges and everything. We'll work with, you know, a lot of times we work with companies that are mom and pops, but then again, we also work with the Fortune 500 companies. You know, we we have to know that the company we're working with has a concern very similar to we do about logistics from a strategic standpoint. We're not going to look for sharks. We don't want to work with people who are looking for the lowest price. We deliver right. value. If you're asking me to 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 make a filet mignon out of a, a low grade hamburger, right. it's not going to happen. We're looking for the customers that will. Seek a value, a strategic partner, a company that's not just looking to you as a number. A company for us, it's our every load we handle is important. And the customers we work with, we're not going to look for people that want to lowball us. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but you know, we're not looking to gouge people. We're looking for the customer. Uh, our sweet spot is is right in the middle. A customer who cares about what they're doing and looks at logistics as a, a strategic weapon. Right. Yeah. I say this all the time on my podcast. It has to be a win, 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 right? It has to be a win for the carrier. It has to be a win for the broker. If there's one in the middle, that's be a win for the customer. The idea that I would work with somebody on a regular basis that, that says, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm taking advantage or, or I can take advantage of you. Who wants that? Again, it's like they get, it speaks back to your culture. <laughs> I guess it's predictable. So, you know, Bob, I was going through and I had notes here. And the one thing I was supposed to ask earlier on, I did not. But I, but I, last year when we talked, I remember you said something about being in a movie. So tell us about your one movie, <laughs> your one movie credit before we wrap this bad boy up. Well, the, the most, I mean, I've done several movies actually. Uh, in fact, most. Oh, movies, really? All right. Well, oh, tell yeah. us more then. Yeah, I've got, I'm on IMDb. You can pull up my, uh, my IMDb page. I don't, it's Robert Rich III. Back in the, uh, the early 80s, the movie The Natural was filmed in Buffalo with Robert Redford and Glenn Close and, and Robert Duvall. They were the biggest stars of the time right there. Uh, Barbara Hershey was in that movie. It was, it was, that was great. a great movie. Um, I was working that summer. It was, I think it was 83 or 84. I was working construction at the stadium and working for a company. I was making really good money. But I bought a new pair of boots the second day in after hauling concrete blocks up three flights of stairs because there was no other way to get them there and have the young kid lift them. My feet were blistering. My hands were bloody. I went down to uh, the casting for the movie that day. Uh, to cat, you know, I said, why don't I try and do something else? And I, I casted for the part of the Bat Boy, but my, my look and everything wasn't complimentary to what they were looking for. So... I got a call back to be uh, play Robert Redford's son to audition for that part. Damn, my mom loves Robert, Robert Redford to this day. <laughs> Guys, he, by the way, you young people, he was like Brad Pitt and George Clooney before there oh, was Brad Pitt and George Clooney. <laughs> he's he's still a stud, you know. And I, I I haven't talked to him in a while. I keep in touch with Glenn Close and uh, oh, all wow. my actor friends. We we see her every we get a card every year or so. And we we keep in touch, but it really was a lot of fun. It was uh, the natural was one of. Uh, 
I, in my opinion, the best baseball movie ever. It yes. was filmed right here in Buffalo. Oh, that's right. Well, was it filmed yeah. at Bison's Stadium? It was, yep, War Memorial Stadium. It was filmed at. It was so that's was, part of Rich Products too, right? Uh, the Bison's are. We own uh, we own three baseball, three minor league baseball teams. So what is that? What what is the farm club? Where do those guys go? Toronto, of all places. Oh, very nice, very nice. That's having Toronto and Buffalo. It was it was really exciting, and it was you know we got to see all the games and the Bison's so, man, you're won their busy man. This year. So when was the last time you were in a movie? We're working on one recently called Heartbreak Falls, and that's coming out in uh, next year, in 2022. It's about a, uh, it's sort of an ensemble cast about a, uh, a mafia mobster sort oh, I love of it family already. <laughs> and a passing of the torch. And, and I'm the old guy in the movie, so there's some great pictures on my IMDb. <laughs> I had to I I'm going to put a link in the show notes so you guys can see Bob's uh, Bob's other job. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fun, and like I said, I it's you know it's been an awesome life. I, I had my other grandfather, Dr. Charlie Becker, used to say, as my mom's dad used to say to me when he was towards the end of his days, he said, you know, he said it's been a wonderful life, and it's been a wonderful life. But what's made it a wonderful life is uh, the people around me. It's it's not it's it's. It's who you have in your life. It's never what you have in your life. It's it's who you have. And if you have good people and friends right. around you, that's a great your that's the greatest gift of all. Yes, yes. You know, I was just at a, a family or class reunion, and one of the things that, I also went to my sister's class reunion. She's a year younger than me, and one of the things I kind of walked away with is first of all, you got to keep your health. You don't have to be a you know a phenomenal athlete, but you got to keep your health. Secondly, you've got to keep those relationships, friends, family work associates, whatever. You gotta have those people in your right. life. And then last but not least, you have to have a purpose. My my feeling is I bump every once in a while you run into someone who doesn't have one of those three things and something's missing. And that's what we all gotta keep going in our life. So Absolutely. Bob, thank you so much. And again, thank you for letting me go well past my hour with you. <laughs> and uh it's been very interesting. You wanna do a follow up? I'm available anytime. I really, <laughs> really appreciate it. And I like I said I just I just have to shout out and say thank you to all our, our customers, our carriers, our vendors, everyone else, our associates. And then I also want to thank the family of all of our associates because they're the ones that support our associates and help to build the vision. So everybody who's helped us personally and professionally, I just, God bless them all. I, I'm, I, I stand in awe and bewilderment of, of all the people that have supported us over the years and and, and couldn't be more blessed for everything. And thank you for, for letting us tell our story. Yeah, well, it's a great story, and I'm glad you were able to take the time. Thank you so much, and thank all of you so much for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.